Hello everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Do Well podcast. In this podcast, we talk about the steps that we can take towards creating a more sustainable planet. Today, I'm speaking with Ayush, who works at Orsted. Orsted is a very exciting company. It's a Danish multinational and currently is the biggest producer of offshore wind energy. It produces majority of its energy from renewable sources. However, that was not always the case. With its roots in traditional oil and gas energy resources, the company decided to do a pivot and focus entirely on renewable sources. Ayush talks us through that transition as well as provides his outlook on the future of offshore wind. So without further ado, let's listen to Ayush. Hello. Hi Ayush. How are you? Hi Ankit. I'm well. How are you? Good, good, yeah. All well. Obviously with the new tier 4 restrictions, <laughs> things yeah. are changing on a daily basis. <laughs> yes, yes. So let's hope for the best and I think importantly I hope everybody stays well. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah, I mean especially going into this uh, festive period. Mm. Um yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate where Very we are but but 2020. <laughs> Hopefully the end is near. Yes, yes, fingers crossed. So so thanks thanks Ayusha, thanks for coming on to the podcast uh, this has been in the works for some time uh, so very very glad that you are here uh let me start by first requesting you to provide us a quick background into into yourself what you currently do how you ended up here and then we take it from there sure sure uh, very happy to ankit so sure um, just a quick introduction about myself so my name is ayush i'm part of the uh, structured solutions team here in orsted uh, based in london orsted mm-hmm. is uh, an offshore wind focused uh, renewables player within my role in structured solutions we support in divestments and mna activity uh, globally currently me personally i'm working on a few transactions in europe and in japan and when it comes to transactions or deals we focus on three major uh, aspects one is the origination itself so scanning and selecting let's say the right partner then we uh, drive on the financing so liaising with lenders and uh, you know other forms of uh, institutional investors who might be interested uh, to raise the finance and mm. then thirdly we are uh, quite involved in the structuring of the deal itself to uh, you know come up with a structure that optimizes project returns and you know satisfies the regulatory and tax requirements so it's those three let's say aspects that we you know drive on uh, the mm. reason why i am at orsted or why i am within this sort of you know structured mm. solutions role is that i've always been interested in energy and mm. corporate finance topics so mm. uh, on the energy side as you know the sector is undergoing perhaps once in a generation uh, transition to True. you know alternative uh, you know non fossil fuel based sources and um, given my background is generally broadly speaking in finance and corporate strategy topics again it lets me leverage my interests and skills uh, in a way that i perhaps you know know best um, mm. so that's a little bit about the role and you know why i'm doing it uh, prior to mm. orsted again very quickly i was uh, with mckinsey here in london uh, as an engagement manager and i focused uh, predominantly on uh, corporate finance and corporate strategy topics uh, serving the energy sector clients and financial institutions uh, got to do a lot of work on uh, climate 
climate focused related uh, sustainability topics which was very interesting uh, and prior to mckinsey i was at business school and just before that i was at uh, deloitte uh, again here in london working on their oil and gas clients but predominantly in the as an accountant or an auditor uh, capacity so that's a little Got bit it. about me no thanks 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 i very very fascinating journey uh, and 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 we'll we'll go deeper into uh, what what you're doing at austed but i mean for for our for our listeners who don't know uh, who might not know a lot about austed could you please explain to us what austed is what it does sure sure so austed uh, as i briefly touched upon is predominantly a renewables focused uh, you know player they have uh, let's say three uh, divisions one is offshore wind one is you know onshore wind or onshore yeah. uh, as we call it because it's also include solar okay. and then they have okay. a smaller segment which is to do with bioenergy and they still have some legacy oil and gas assets uh, okay. it is a truly integrated business model whereby you know we develop build operate and own the wind farms uh, that we are involved in um, what yeah. makes orsted you know quite interesting is that it actually started as a danish state owned utility called uh, okay. uh, dong energy uh, and in the last 8 okay. years it's undergone a a tremendous sort of you know transformation because it was primarily a fossil fuels based company uh, and mm. now it is you know just a renewables you know based player um in fact it's uh, just to give you you know some specifics so i mean mm. in uh, to, uh, in our latest sort of you know annual report that, that has come out we've said that in 2007 our the co2 emissions uh, so uh, in terms of grams of co2 equivalent per kilowatt hour it was 424 so 424 mm. grams of co2 per kilowatt hours and today it's only 65 uh, so that oh, is amazing. a huge okay. decline and similarly it's the same story when it comes to operating profit uh, yeah i mean it was only 7% uh, uh, share of renewables were back in 2007 and now it's almost 95% so yeah it is quite a drastic sort of you know shift Uh, that this company has undergone and in fact it was ranked in amongst the top 3 sort of you know turnarounds by the Harvard Business Review mm. and interestingly it was the only energy company uh, that was on that uh, <laughs> list of 20 <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it's very interesting and it's a bold move right i mean yeah. to completely switch your focus as well as your business model and and obviously bet on something that you have not been traditionally exactly. doing yeah uh, so i mean it's a fascinating story i mean uh, so so let's dive deeper into things that you focus on how mm. how is austed placed in the uh, offshore wind sector what and what are the regions uh, sure. or geographical regions that it focuses on sure so yeah i mean austed like picking on what you said i think yeah, i mean it was quite a bold move and in many ways mm. the history of offshore wind and austed is intertwined uh, uh simply mm. because you know almost sort of you know 7 8 years ago orsted took that bold decision that we have to kind of yeah. move away from oil and gas and perhaps you know what is the sector that could be the one and no one at that stage was touching offshore wind because of the risk it had the <laughs> the early stage it was in its development and we decided to take that step in many ways we have sort of you know helped that sector reach uh, where it is mm. today and that mm. is reflected in orsted sort of you know footprint uh, within that sector so within offshore wind mm. uh it's fair to say that we are let's say the market leader so we have almost a 30% you know market share um, putting it you know another okay. way our market share is equivalent to next three players you know combined so it is you know very very oh, sizable and true in many ways i think uh competition is likely to increase and we are quite happy that it does because we also want you know the sector to grow and you know with competition it also helps us to kind of you know keep innovating and improving ourselves 
and already uh, you know in the recent times when it comes to offshore offshore wind the likes of you know sse vattenfall equinor and even the oil majors have made you mm. know bold commitments as to you know how mm. much they want to get into offshore wind so again positive signs you know for the sector and in many ways positive signs for you know orsted as well um Uh, true. Yeah. true, 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 and and you you mentioned 30%. Is is that is that globally? Is that the share globally? Yes, yes. So that is the share okay. uh, globally. Um, uh, in terms of you know our sort of you know geographical focus, so we are mm. focused on let's say uh, regions which you would you know class as perhaps the more wind belt sort of regions, but also with sort of mm. you know stable or established uh, you know political regime. So in Europe. Hmm. main presence are in denmark uk and germany uh, to a lesser extent okay. in you know france and netherlands as well uh, at okay. the same time um, we are building offshore wind farms in asia so taiwan is you know quite prominent in on our list and similarly we have made you know public uh, interest announcements on japan and south korea and potentially vietnam as well so apac is you know a region that we want to grow in and it wouldn't be it won't be wrong to say that probably in 10 years time the target will be around 20 to 25% of our you know revenues if not profit would be coming uh, from that part of the world uh, okay. us also is like a big uh, uh, focus so and interestingly mm. in the us it's not just offshore so we are actually quite uh, you know involved on the onshore side both wind and solar and uh, we made a few acquisitions a couple of years ago to get a foothold um, in that market So I mean, yeah. To summarize, we are present in continental Europe and mm. UK today, mm. and looking to consolidate mm. our position uh, in these regions. Okay. But when it okay. comes to sort of future expansions, I think yeah, North America and some of those countries in APEC that I mentioned are uh, the ones that we probably you know go after quite actively. Got it. Got it. And 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 you and you briefly touched mm-hmm. upon it in terms of the future direction. But I mean, if looking forward, I mean, what 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 is the outlook for the industry? How 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 big is the industry currently what is it supposed to grow like in in, in the near future can you mm. can you talk us through that sure sure so i think look i think looking today from a, a macro perspective in terms of numbers probably offshore wind will be something like you know 30 gigawatts so when it comes to you know total energy generation globally it is a very very small share i mean just to put it into perspective mm. like renewables including hydro is probably 30% of the global energy generation figure yeah. of which yeah. probably wind is you know another 30% and then mm. you know offshore wind will be an even smaller number so so i mean just to mm. put it into perspective yes it's starting at a small mm. base but i think the way as you rightly put it is like what is the outlook and the direction that this is going so one is one way of looking at it is that within certain regions uh, wind in particular offshore wind is already a key part of the energy mix uh, it take mm. uk for example uh, on saturday there was an article in the guardian that uh, uh, it was reported that offshore wind set a new record of clean power generation where at a point in time it was 40% of the generated capacity of the uk Amazing. which is you know very very big um similarly the growth expectation for this sector is phenomenal like from 30 gigawatts today i mean broadly speaking across like the consensus is that by 2030 given all the net zero targets that the governments have said uh, it will be closer to 200 to 250 gigawatts so in 10 years okay. i mean that's okay. a rate of you know maybe around 15% or something annually uh, which is amongst the mm. highest amongst the most established mm. sort of you know energy power classes so definitely want to watch True. out for and the regions to watch out for will again be the ones that you know orshed is present in so uk germany uh, scandinavian countries 
Asia, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Vietnam. Um, yeah. Interestingly, China is one a big one. I mean, Austria doesn't have China on its radar, but what that country okay. uh, you know has done uh, in renewables is phenomenal. Uh, and China, mm. like for offshore wind, is obviously is going to be a key market. And now, hopefully, yeah. US as well with you know Biden in charge and you know them coming back on their green agenda. That could also be a big market for offshore wind. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So I, I'm assuming, I mean, when I'm thinking about all this, I'm, I'm assuming there are certain conditions that are more favorable than the others for the growth of offshore wind, right? And there might be specific pockets, either geographically mm. uh, or just because of the regulatory environment. I mean, mm. see, what what are those uh, factors uh, uh, or what are those favorable conditions yeah. that that bode well for for this sector? Yeah, sure. So I think I mean the the the, uh, the perhaps the more sort of you know straightforward uh, you know reason for it is uh, where do you get like the most optimal wind speeds? Um, so mm. this tends tends to be like you know the North Sea is a big sort of you know region for it. So yeah. that's why you see Germany, UK, Scandinavian countries you know featuring quite prominently. Similarly, um, uh, on uh, you know the South China Sea and that side closer to Japan, there mm. also generally you get you know good winds. Uh, so that's why South Korea, that part of China, Japan, Vietnam, Taiwan uh, also you know get a lot of you know interest. And then in the U.S., uh, so far for conventional sort of you know offshore wind, it is around let's say your uh, regions around sort of New Jersey, Boston, New York. Mm. little bit towards southern canada so those are the regions where mm. you know you uh, you know see wind so so one is you know just mm. just generally like you know where which are the windier parts the second thing to yeah. bear in mind is that uh, offshore wind uh, today uh, given the technology you can only go in up to let's say certain amount of depths and it tends to be mm. let's say relatively speaking the shallower parts because you need the monopile to mm. go all the way down and you know there's only so much deep mm. that you can go so so far yeah. given you know let's say how deep a monopile can go and how let's say what the energy sort of you know infrastructure you know grid is in those regions that is the limiting factor yeah. but if we move yeah. on to let's say you know offshore wind and you know what uh, when that becomes let's say mainstream then you would see, you know, a lot more regions uh, where offshore wind would have, you know, a positive impact because then if it is totally sort of, you know, floating offshore wind, then you can actually kind of, you know, put those monopiles anywhere or, you know, as deep as you want and wind speeds are higher mm. and you can perhaps, you know, service more regions. So, so you know, that limitation is still there, but given how much uh, prospect yeah. we've seen in floating offshore wind, that could be something that could be broken. Mm. And Finally, I would say, I mean, yeah, these regions are also, you know, the ones which uh, uh, are, let's say, uh, driven a lot by the political sort of, you know, certainty. So these countries yeah. are the ones which have mm -hmm. uh, um, given, made firm commitments towards offshore wind. They are the ones who have, let's say, subsidized regimes for that sector. Uh, yeah. So that's why offshore developers have, you know, shown a lot more interest. There are other countries, you know, like Latin True. American countries, India also to a certain extent, who have let's say, given some targets, mm. uh, like India has said that, you know, we would mm. want five gigawatts of offshore wind till 2030. However, they haven't, yeah. you know, shown that political intent where they have sort of, you know, mm. announced subsidies mm. or taken concrete actions yeah. to give these developers, uh, you know, that level of comfort to move. In. So political certainty also True. plays a big part. I can imagine. I can imagine. Okay. And and, and, and you, again, I, I, will, I, I will continue that chain of thought. I mean, we've talked about obviously the growth prospects of the industry and obviously it is very exciting it is obviously uh, helps us create a more sustainable world 
but given the current environment i mean what are the challenges for offshore wind the so sure sure so the the challenges uh, you know for offshore wind you can probably think of them as you know some which are perhaps more short term and some which are you know perhaps more uh, mm. you know long term mm. so i would say the uh, short term probably two challenges you know come to mind one is um, subsidies uh, are generally being taken away so be it the uk or you know germany mm. companies even like orsted they have one projects uh, made you know bids for projects at uh, saying that you know we can actually develop and run this project at, at zero subsidy so subsidies okay. until now have played a very big part uh, in taking the sector you know as to yeah. where they are um but now that subsidies are going away and now uh, you know in the industry we refer to this as merchant risk so now projects are being exposed to mm-hmm. power prices uh, like any other sort of you know energy yeah. technology how would that you know perhaps yeah. you know pan out does it mean that you know return expectations will have to increase in line with the risk does it mean that you know some of the capital that you are seeing yeah. in offshore wind or a level of interest by investors does that move away so that is a question mark the second i would say short to medium term uh, challenges around um, infrastructure so a lot of these sort of countries have mm-hmm. made these sort of bold announcements that they will uh, they have set up these you know big targets for offshore wind but one limiting factor would be obviously the the grid Uh, setup so can the grid actually handle you know this yeah. increase in capacity yeah. so grid infrastructure yeah. has to be updated and you know perhaps increased in a lot of these geographies similarly at times yeah. uh, uh, there is a, a limitation around uh, the actual um, infrastructure itself so how quickly can these uh, uh, wind turbines be produced be transported from one part to the other how yeah. how uh, yeah. wind turbines are getting bigger and bigger but can a port uh, actually handle a turbine of this size so infrastructure side mm. uh, you know is still a challenge i would say and yeah uh, it's something that you know needs to be sort of you know looked at the more sort of uh, medium term uh, you know challenge would would be on floating you know offshore wind like i mentioned i mean i'm a firm believer that there is a yeah. lot of potential it will enable wind farms to be deeper where there is you know more acreage available wind speeds can be 50% higher or more however you know the question mark is that even though there is a lot of you know positive sign uh, will that happen in the next sort of you know 3 to 5 years or 8 to 10 years that is you know still uh, to be determined interestingly um, uh, a lot of the oil and gas majors are showing a lot uh, of interest uh, into floating uh, you know yeah, offshore wind yeah. and i think the reason is that it's it yeah. tends to be more complex it comes with a higher risk so something that mm. uh, they are probably used to uh, given the exploration phase of you know an oil and gas project <laughs> so again that probably is you know another risk but and the eventual sort of you know long term risk uh, is that intermittency is is always you know a challenge that you know wind and sun are only there for a certain amount of the day um, but yeah. how do you address it so i mean one thing could be interconnected grids i mean there are always these of talks of uh, exactly. you know you will have these grids yeah. where say if it's sunny in one part and you know night in the other part or you know not so sunny in the other part but you know you can sort of you know through these longer grids supply uh, electricity uh, to from one let's say country to another and similarly energy storage could be the answer but uh, in what form uh, that is still you know to be determined so these risks exactly. i mean do remain exactly. but i think on the whole it's still a very very you know positive story uh, for renewables true 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 yeah and then to your last point i mean obviously we have seen uh, large drops in energy mm. storage prices especially from a lithium ion mm. perspective and hopefully that will continue but as we solve that energy mm. storage issue 
i think uh, uh, then then it becomes easier for uh, renewable yes. not just offshore wind to to uh, to help the grid yes. manage yeah, their absolutely. load Got it. Cool. Uh, let's let's move on to more positive news from the challenges. Uh, I was uh, recently reading an article about Austin announcing a ten-year deal with Amazon. I mean, typically when you hear Amazon, offshore wind is probably not the first thing that comes to your mind. At least, at least for me. Could you please provide more details around what it entails, what the deal is all about? Sure, sure. Yes, and uh, yes. So Amazon uh, recently has been in the news because they've signed uh, a two hundred and fifty megawatt uh, uh, CPPA, as we call it, which is a corporate mm. PPA with uh, us for one of our assets in Germany. Mm. Um, our relationship with Amazon is actually quite strong. So in twenty sixteen itself, we had signed another CPPA with them for similar two hundred and fifty megawatts okay. in Texas. So you you uh, generally what these agreements entail is that uh, for let's say a period of ten years or fifteen years, Amazon will purchase a certain amount of power mm. from mm. our wind farms for mm. let's say their infrastructure setup. So it could be you know to power their logistics centers or their data centers or yeah other sort of you know buildings and offices in their sort of you know portfolio, mm. um, and. generally it's part of their sort of you know bigger agenda to uh, uh, to support the pl- uh, planet hit the net zero goals that it has by 2050 yeah. um yeah. i mean take amazon just going deeper on amazon right so they have mm. uh, announced that by 2030 they want to be fully powered by renewable sources and they mm. have already uh, signed uh, or announced plans to engage with almost 25 or 26 utility scale uh, wind yeah. and solar plants uh so them along with the likes of you know facebook google microsoft have been showing a lot of you know interest in this region and you know given the scale of this climate challenge i think it's mm. definitely uh, the right step like previously one could argue that these yeah. are let's say you know csr points uh or why companies are doing it but given the yeah the climate risk today there is a lot of activist investor uh, you know sentiment towards this so uh by doing more of such activity i'm sure they'll also see tangible sort of uh, you know results when it comes to their share prices mm. and so on amazing amazing and, and you you refer to climate risk i'll i'll come to that in a moment but uh, what you talked about amazon i i think that indeed is a very very positive sign do you believe more deals will be done in a similar mm. fashion other corporates will also uh, do something similar Sure. Yes. So I think definitely. Uh, I mean, there's a lot more that you are, you will, you will see in this space probably in the mm. next, uh, you know, couple of years. Even at, you know, take Orsted or some of our sort of other players. Uh, definitely, this is a big, uh, uh, you know, let's say work stream or uh, you know piece of work that is yeah. going to increase given like the yeah. green agenda. So the tech majors definitely have been, you know, very vocal and uh, mm. very proactive about this. um mm. but if you look across the tech uh, apart from the tech sector if you take other sectors take industries for example they are also getting very very active as they look to yeah. uh, greener fuels to power their manufacturing uh, and industrial activity so take taiwan mm. you know for example in july mm. we signed uh, or orsted as a company signed the largest non cppa of almost 1 gigawatts uh, oh, with a company oh. called uh, tsmc Now TSMC mm. is the world's largest semiconductor maker, so they mm-hmm. do a lot of things for the likes of you know, Apple, Qualcomm, mm-hmm. AMD, and so on. So you are seeing a lot of these CPPAs being entered into directly with, uh, let's say, renewable players as companies look uh, to kind of proactively get greener uh, 
because yeah by doing so not only are they benefiting let's say now from lower costs because sometimes these greener fuels are actually much more cheaper in some geographies yeah. Yeah. but secondly shareholders are also sort of you know uh, showing that positive sentiment and accordingly you know it's it's impacting their market caps as well interesting interesting very 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 interesting mm-hmm. yeah i mean and the size as you said i mean especially in taiwan and for tsmc which is yeah. one of the bigger biggest um, as a factor uh, i think it's amazing uh, uh, good good things are in store uh, i i'll i'll circle back to climate risk you referred to climate risk uh, while talking about why companies mm-hmm. are doing mm-hmm. this uh, how how big is the climate risk i mean mm-hmm. for the uk uh, for india and generally for for the mm-hmm. entire world Sure, sure. I mean, climate risk on its own is a, a very, very big and a broad topic. Uh, so I'm uh, very happy to kind of, you know, do another, yeah. let's say, you know, session on just True. just this topic, but because it's quite important. Uh, I agree. Uh, but I mean, I'll try to be as succinct uh, as mm-hmm. possible and perhaps help mm-hmm. uh, uh, help uh, the, the listeners sort of, you know, put this into perspective. And the problem is quite global, like be it India, be yeah. it UK, yeah. it doesn't really matter. I mean, all of us are yeah. in this together. So, yeah. I mean, starting at the onset, um, in 2015, uh, uh, we have something called we had something called the Paris Agreement, where uh, yeah. member states agreed to limit global warming to two degrees yeah. Celsius uh, yeah. compared to kind of pre-industrial levels. And uh, yeah. this means that we will be reducing our greenhouse gas emissions by almost 80 to 95 percent of uh, the levels they were in 1990 by 2050. So it is mm-hmm. a big, big challenge. Um, and when it comes to climate risk, you can probably, um, it's easier to think of it in two parts. One is the uh, physical risk itself. So that, yeah. that but what means by, by that, what I mean is that, you know, the, the chances of increase in floods, forest fires, mm-hmm. uh, and the risk associated with the planet getting warmer. And the second yeah. risk is transition risk risk that occurs when you move towards a lesser polluting or greener economy. Um, So just briefly talking about, you know, both of these interns. So physical risk, right? So the planet is getting Mm -hmm. hotter, floods are rising, forest fires are getting more prevalent, droughts are, you know, getting more and more severe. So linked to this, uh, let's say the key key things that are impacted, like firstly, livability and workability. So heat stress could affect the ability of, you know, us humans working outdoors and in extreme cases put human lives at risk. Um, Food systems could be impacted. So food production could be disrupted in droughts, extreme temperatures, floods are impacting, you know, land and crops. Um, So that is another one. Figures, physical assets themselves could be damaged. So buildings could be Mm -hmm. damaged, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, in extreme cases, uh, you would have actual, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure that is getting impacted, yeah. that there is more stress yeah. on it, that leads to its own, yeah. you know, decline. And conversely, there could be knock-on effects. And then finally, natural capital itself, which is yeah. uh, shifting ecosystems. So, you know, uh, you know, glaciers are melting, forests are changing, ocean ecosystems are changing. So, so this is how perhaps, you know, physical risk, you know, should be seen. And then True. talking a little bit about the other one, which is the transition risk. So what mm-hmm. happens, let's say, to the current setup? If you move towards a less yeah. polluting, greener economy and yeah. uh, taking it, let's say, for just using some sectors. So say, for example, for the power sector, right? Currently, it is fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Moving away from fossil mm-hmm. fuels to renewables, it exposes a lot of, you know, uh, it requires a lot of infrastructure changes. It requires a lot of reskilling of the workforce uh, to move in that direction. Similarly, you know, transport, moving away from, let's say, internal combustion engine 
to uh, greener right. fuels so you know what sure. does that mean in terms of like you know grid infrastructure or your ev charging infrastructure uh, you know that is a big question mark similarly um, houses take our houses today right like uh, 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 for now you know probably the average house rating in the uk is c or a d but to uh, mm-hmm. to meet net zero ambitions we have to be at a minimum of a c so your yeah. houses are going to feel the stress where uh, today governments are actually the uk government is actually giving away some money if you want to kind of you know do home improvements but very soon what you will see is that houses that are perhaps in more let's say flood regions or let's say epc mm-hmm. uh, below c you would see the impact yeah. in, the, in the in the prices of those houses so two houses let's say exactly. one is more efficient and one is not the the house price will be you know cheaper so transition sure. risk also you know plays a very very mm-hmm. big part and sometimes mm-hmm. people just focus let's on the physical risk and you know while they're mindful of the transition risk they don't you know fully sort of you know capture the full picture so i think all yeah. in all it's probably yeah it's a, it's a, it's quite a big big challenge um, true and true. yeah uh, true. things need to be true. done to perhaps you know help us address it i i agree and I, I, i think i think transition risk is something that is not talked about very often to be honest mm. uh, because we do talk about the paris agreement and the need to uh, limit a uh, temperature increase uh, but the transition to that is is going to be a challenging mm. affair i mean obviously i am very passionate about climate risk and mm. i mean as you said it's a big topic that we can keep on discussing mm. uh, mm-hmm. for for a long time and I, and i think we should do another <laughs> episode on just talking about climate mm. risk uh i mean i i also want to go back to one thing that you mentioned mm. especially about government taking actions and being uh, uh, interested in obviously cre- i mean not just adhering to the paris mm. agreement but also creating a more sustainable mm. environment you we i mean there was a recent announcement about china mm. uh, they they want to do a net neutral plan which was which was well well received mm. what 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 are your views on that sure sure so yeah i mean the the, the announcement by uh, xi jinping in october uh, that they'll he's going to or china is going to aim to get carbon neutral before 2060 is definitely you know a major one uh, i mean just yeah. to put this into perspective china currently is responsible of roughly 30% of our greenhouse gas emissions so that's yeah in fact more than the us and european union combined uh, it is yeah. a herculean task i mean to make that happen True. china will have to reduce its carbon emission by almost like you know 80 to 90% um, exactly. you yeah. might argue that uh, that you know would they do it uh, you know on one side you have china burning half of the world's coal and it's still being you know building new power plants uh also it uses coal to power a lot of uh, steel making and you know cement factories um it is it remains the world's largest uh, automobile market which means it's the largest importer of you know crude oil uh however i'm very much in the camp that uh, mm. they certainly have the uh the right setup and mindset to make it yeah. happen uh if they are you know committed to it so apart from mm. like when it comes to governments i think one thing that they you know certainly do are setting these bold ambitions so that is definitely a big step that they have done where they've acknowledged that look yeah. it is a challenge yeah. we need to kind of you know take responsibility yeah. and do something about it yeah. uh but in the case of china i think we can in fact already go one step further where they have actually taken concrete actions uh in that direction so china today is by far the largest investor producer and consumer of renewable energy um in fact mm. it's more than again uh, us and european union combined 
uh, one out of every three sort of solar panels and wind turbines in the world are in china uh, it is oh. home to nearly half of the world's uh, electric uh, vehicles um in fact you know electric when it comes to electric buses or electric two wheelers almost 99% of them are in china so whilst you know a lot has to be done they have certainly kind of you know taken the right step to map out this journey uh, and they certainly have uh, taken the right steps or already are sort of you know approaching it in the right manner and i'm hoping that they do achieve yeah. it because i mean if they do i think the consensus was that if they do achieve it china on its own will help uh, us um, you know prevent the world from heating up by almost 0.5 degree celsius so if we have let's say a 2 degree I mean, celsius target one fourth uh, you know of it uh, is being addressed by china so it is it is a big big pledge uh, by all means true true and i mean i mean and not just i mean hopefully um, they they will i mean if they are able to achieve it they will lead the way for others mm. globally to follow exactly. in their footsteps and hopefully do something similar cool i mean cool uh, so i mean thanks i i think that was a very very interesting talk uh, for me i learned a lot uh, as as part of the final segment of 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 this i mean the purpose of this podcast is to talk about the actions mm. that we can take as individuals sure. to help become more sustainable what do you think are the important actions that we can take in our day to day mm. lives that reduce the carbon footprint in the world and help create a more sustainable sure, planet sure. i think that's that's probably the right way to also approach it because i mean a lot of times uh, yeah i mean the uh, people want to do so much but you know they probably are not uh, able to kind mm. of you know put it into action so i think yeah that's definitely the right area of uh, you know focus and i would say look i think there are uh, you know two things and uh, whilst i might sound like you know yeah. the same sort of things that you might hear from elsewhere but i think it's quite important i think the first one is awareness so yeah. increasing yeah. awareness of the issues at hand are very important like i mean personally from my perspective like i until you know very recently was not even aware like you know everyone talks about these this 2 degrees but what does it actually mean like a 2 degree mm. increase in temperature what does it mean for you me or let's say you know your yeah. listeners yeah um Yeah. so you so awareness probably played a big part like the more i sort of you know went into it i was more aware and uh the more informed you are then the more uh, sort of related lifestyle choices uh, you are able to take hmm. um so in terms of awareness hmm. look i mean if if uh, you know users are interested i think there are a lot of uh, a few good sort of uh, handy apps uh, that you know people can access so i think mm-hmm. certainly there are quite a few which hmm. are related to your own co2 footprint so you know putting in your, yeah. you know your consumption and then seeing what is the equivalent sort of you know co2 footprint i think the the uh, the few good ones like the simple ones that i've seen um, there's one mm-hmm. uh, uh, in fact done by the bbc which is a very good page and that it puts into yeah. perspective you know what your consumption is and what impact does it have on the mm-hmm. uh, climate exactly. interestingly there was one um, exactly. infographic that they had on uh, beer intake and it's uh, a likely impact fantastic environment <laughs> so it might uh, you know yeah. deter you away from beer but i think uh, i mean knowing you i think yeah, i mean i think they haven't uh, made uh, gin or whiskey available on their list so i think here uh, yeah, i think good <laughs> for now till it makes its way uh, to that list uh, but i think the challenge today with a lot of these apps are, is that they are very uh, static so they rely on say someone going onto that yeah. web page putting in you know your consumption and True. then they'll translate it True. i think uh, but it's something True. worth keeping an eye out for because uh the direction where it's going is that uh, uh the intention is that these will become more dynamic so you will very soon let's say have a world yeah. where 
uh, your uh, payment provider so let's say your banks or your you know wallet solutions will somehow link your payments mm. translate that to a co2 footprint yeah. so like say for example you have an aggregator that shows you uh, what your spending pattern is similarly you you will be able to have a screen which will show you that you know based on this spending pattern this is your co2 impact and come up with some ideas as to how you can you know optimize it so that is let's say the direction this is yeah. going um, so i would say yeah i, I mean that will certainly help awareness of consumers to uh, a large part and if someone who is like perhaps you know True. more interested in knowing let's say uh, more details and you know what the macro trends are of course i mean there are a lot of good publications i mean economist and ft have separate sections on the climate exactly. which are very interesting uh in the uk in particular you have um, the committee of climate change uh and so and a department called you know the bez which have very good sort of you know detailed publications yeah. i mean they are quite chunky like it can be almost let's say 200 pages or so but they do have very good exact summaries which are three four pages <laughs> and uh you know easy on the eyes true. Uh, so definitely worth it true 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 and then the bbc one yes. is is quite interesting isn't it i mean uh, there's a similar one i think at okay. cnn as well they i mean they talk about how do you rank the solution i was surprised in how, at how wrong <laughs> i was uh, in terms of talking about uh, my food habits uh, obviously the way we live in our homes and how the way we use our uh, electricity yes, yes. etc and similarly there must be a few i mean i i can't remember the names but i think there are definitely some which are uh, like if someone is interested in let's say interesting startups in the clean tech space and the newer sort of you know technologies that are coming out mm. i mean there are quite a few like you know these mm. award sites like you know who uh, yeah award given by uh, the uk government for some of these and stuff so some good yeah. names and some interesting sort of ideas always keep you know coming up as well yeah yeah i mean you touched upon startups see as a venture investor i mean <laughs> i love hearing about new technology new startups any very quickly any startup that have caught your eye in the recent past yeah i, I mean look i think there is uh, there were, like recently i think there were there are two which have like you know come uh, or you know i i definitely kind of you know remember and i think i'll want to keep sort of track of them one is called uh, bb box so that's bb oxx uh, mm-hmm. interestingly it was started by you know three mm-hmm. friends uh, out of imperial i think not so long ago so it's it's not that that uh, yeah uh, that old and their idea is quite simple so they yeah. they in fact design and manufacture these units uh, which are almost plug and play solar mm-hmm. systems uh, to improve access yeah. uh, across the developing world i think mean, currently they're focusing on africa and you know they claim that uh, yeah. they've impacted you know more than a million lives and they've already distributed almost 200000 of these products Uh, so yeah i mean exactly uh, coming from india myself i think yeah those regions are uh, you know quite uh, you know close to my heart and any sort of solution that can work over there is you know definitely of interest um and the other one is uh, in similar vein a, a company called mac ruber so that's m a c r e b u r uh, and it's a scottish startup mm-hmm. uh, and what it does is it uses uh, waste yeah, yeah. plastics uh, to build more durable r- roads and uh, do, have you heard I've about heard this of, i mean yeah. uh, Oh, you have uh, so good to them I mean, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of years back yeah <laughs> but very interesting i mean good yeah exactly i i think they, they yeah interesting the guy work. said that he uh, came up with this idea when he was traveling in india and where he observed uh, that uh, waste plastic was actually being melted into potholes uh, in southern india to kind of you know fill up roads so he kind of you know, took it uh, took its application <laughs> to the west so very good to see kind of you know us being it <laughs> here is exactly <laughs> cool cool no thanks 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 i used thanks for taking out the time this was so useful to me i learned a lot 
uh, and, and and hopefully our listeners will as well uh, i hope to do another one soon on as as we discuss climate risk <laughs> but i i think uh, no, no, this was thank super you, useful thanks I, so I much again i also kind of you know enjoyed my time and i mean these topics are uh, i mean not only are they aligned to my sort of professional interest but on a personal level i they are very close to my heart so you know i'm glad yeah. you found it helpful yeah, and anytime i mean happy to have kind of you know further discussions on related topics uh, in the near future perfect perfect thanks thanks ayush uh, happy holidays uh, hopefully we'll get out of this <laughs> thank you so much ankit and yes happy holidays to you as well and uh, have a good one bye you too bye